Father, we do thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we continue to to search out your word, reading about Esther and her story. Pray, Father, that you'll continue to open the eyes of our understanding and help us to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so far we've been talking about Esther. We've been talking about how she got into the king's harem. How'd that happen? Anybody know? Just kidnapped. Lottery. Kidnapped. <laughs> kidnapped, basically. Yeah, no kidding. Vashti was banished. Vashti. Vashti, who was the king's wife, would not uh, humiliate herself by coming into the party to be gawked at. And so the king, to save face, kicks her out. Doesn't let her be queen anymore. And they do a Miss Persia contest to uh, to find a new queen. And they bring, was it 400 girls? Mm-hmm. 400 girls. Uh, they go through beauty treatments. They go through the whole thing. They spend one one night. Anybody watch One Night with a King since we... Yes. What do you think? Um, there wasn't 400 girls there. No. There was like four. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's more than that in the, in, in the whole harem, isn't there? But... Yeah, it's, but, it's Hollywood. They, yeah, they take and, liberties. And the movie made you kind of like the king. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and in reality, the king was a freak. You know, when you when you know hear about him his, uh, historically. So. Uh, and they made it sound like she, the the queen refused to come because she was throwing her own party. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. they thought that that was an insult that she was having her own party and not joining that one. Isn't that, didn't you get that out of it? Yeah. <clears throat> That's yeah. the way they made it sound, yeah. And they also walked her children, killing her, rather than just imprisoning her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I can't imagine Hollywood would get a biblical story <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Do you want to know the, the best, not the best, one I really, really liked. Did you ever see NBC about, what, six, seven years ago, did a show called Kingdoms or something like that? And they took the story of David and Saul and put it in modern day uh, setting. It was fantastic. I mean, right down to the spiritual essence. And then they started, you know, when it got more and more popular, and then all of a sudden, you know, whatever there was, summer or whatever the, the deal was. Actually, I think it was when the when the uh, the writer's strike. The TV series? Yeah, it was a TV series. Uh, NBC did it. It was, I think they ran about 15 or 16 um, uh, what's the the kid from Home Alone? Macaulay. Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin. He was in it. He was um, a ghost. No, but he was a freak in that too. He was a freak in this show. And, but I mean, just so there's some big names in it. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. There's some big names, but it was really, really good. I mean, like really, really good. And, and they started interviewing. I read a couple of articles where they interviewed the writers of it, and he, he was laughing because he said. You know, he, he yeah, he said, I stole the whole story of David and, and Saul. He when his uh, uh, when he brought in the screen test and they read it, the producers were just going. They were raving about it. They said, "This is fantastic! Where did you ever think up such a great story?" I mean, talk about intrigue. Talk about you know. And he's going, "Yeah, I stole it right out of the Bible. Really, the Bible has a story just like this. That's amazing." I think it's called Kingdoms. Kingdom. It was in 2007. Okay. Um, was it British? Nope. Oh, this one's saying British. I got the wrong one. Because mm-hmm. it was an NBC, yeah, NBC uh, series. But it was... Kingdom, uh, come, kingdom, kingdom gone? No. No. I, it, could, it may not be kingdoms either. It may be something else. Uh, Google. Both the world of Google. IMBD Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, there you go. Okay, moving right along with Esther. Tell me if you find it. So, uh, we also introduced to um, Mordecai. Who's Mordecai? Esther's uncle. Esther's uncle. 
And he uh, adopted her when her parents were killed at some point in time. We don't know anything about that backstory, but we know that somehow that uh, she they were killed or died, and and she she was adopted by him. He raised her. Uh, he was a uh, an official in the court of some sort of some standing because he was close enough to the king to be able to talk to him, to be able to have a, a conversation. Um, what we talked about last week was that uh, uh, there was a pl- point where uh, Mordecai actually overheard a plot to assassinate the king. And like we said last week, if you know, he was a, a definitely a captive. He was an exile. Uh, he was not there because he wanted to be there, yet he protected the king. He he uh, let the king know of this plot. They uh, they found out that it was true. They executed the two people who were um, who had planned the plot. And praise God, he did. Praise God, he did do that because that was the very reason that the rest of the story was able to happen. Because he was faithful to do his job, even when it didn't seem like the right thing to do. Even though it didn't, you know, anybody else would have thought, great, let's kill the king. Let's get rid of the king because he's the one who's keeping us in exile. They did. He didn't do that. And because he didn't do that, everything else played out. It just shows you that, that the decisions you make in your everyday life, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a question of, of ethics at this point where he, um, you know, do you, do you tell the boss that uh, so-and-so is embezzling money when it really doesn't matter to you? I mean, you, as long as you get your paycheck, uh, but something else is going on in the office, it matters whether we do the ethical thing or not. If we, if we ignore it and because and, well, it doesn't bother me, I'm not going to, you know, then, then it, it very seriously could come back and affect you uh, to a great extent. So Mordecai saves the king's life, uh, and then a, another official gets uh, a promotion, his name is Haman. Haman. And Kings. Ha- Kings. That's what it's called. Yes, Kings. Um, it says, um, the basic plot of the series is loosely based on the biblical story of King David, and many of the character and place names are the same as they appear in the Bible. Yep. It's assumed if the show continued, it went five episodes. It, that was it? If the show continued, David would eventually succeed Silas as king. It was only five episodes. Five episodes, but they made thirteen of them. So there's okay. So I've, I've I saw all thirteen. It, they were on. You probably get them on DVD or something. Yep, I saw all thirteen. Oh, they were fantastic. It was, and and there was a there was a point where where um, David is anointed outside of, and there was a whole you know. I mean, obviously we know the story. David was anointed before he ever became king, and. When, it, when they showed how their interpretation of it, I went, okay, that's not how it happened in the Bible, but I am totally okay with what they just did right there. It was, it was really, really good. I mean, it was, it was a it, very good series. I encourage you to get it. Um, very... It looks like a guy show. I like things with a thing a lot better. <laughs> so, well, so, it's like King Silas Benjamin came to power in a mythical battle against the rival neighbor... Republic of Gath, capitalizing brilliantly on the ruthless, ruthlessly on his near godly image. Farm boy David Shepherd performs as well. That was the David Shepherd was the is the good. Yeah, saving Silas as crown prince in another epic battle. But it's too. This is something you'd like. The, uh, the Goliath, when when he fights Goliath, I won't tell you. You got to watch it. It's. It's not what you think. It's really good. Okay, moving right along. Thank you. Well, it's not that, not that, not that far into Star Wars. It's it's very down to earth. Okay, so where were we? Oh, Haman gets uh, promoted. He is being led around, and he is he's receiving all the accolades, and um, Mordecai will not bow to him. Will not. Uh, bow because why? Why? Why do we? Well, why do we think he won't bow to him? Some family history. <laughs> family history, blood feud from from years between the Jews and the what was he again? Agagites. Agagites. I just like saying that word. That's just a fun word to say. Agagites. 
Okay, so Haman gets ticked. He wants to uh, not only punish Mordecai, but he wants to finish this once and for all, this blood feud. And so he uh, schemes, his friends uh, put some words in, you know, give him some ideas, and he decides to scheme and to destroy the whole Jewish race once and for all. And so um, he determines the exact date this way. We're, we're st- pick up with verse number seven in chapter which one? Three. Three. Well, we're never going to get done with this. <laughs> chapter three, verse seven. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the Pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. So, Haman, or uh, the king, um, or Haman decides, when is this going to happen? When am I going to to, uh, to, to finish this off? And a, a purr was cast. The purr was a, was a dice or a, some kind of a lot that determined answers to questions. And that's where they get the, the name of the, of the festival, Purim, is that it, the purr was cast, the lots were cast. And it speaks to the whole idea that, you know, okay, so these are the, these are the, the situation or the, the uh, oh, what's the actual phrase that people use? This is the, this, this is the, oh, this is the, not the lots that I'm given, or the, this is the, what happens in our life? It's, it's the card you're dealt. These are the cards I'm dealt, or whatever. That, that somehow, life happens to us, but there's, it's more than just chance. There's an outside force that's deciding these things, but I just have to deal with it. Well, that's really the story of, of uh, Esther, is here's the cards that she was dealt. She was, she was in captivity by no, by no uh, uh, effort of her own. Uh, it happened probably before she was born. She was very young, so um, it, more than likely she had never seen Israel, but yet she was Jewish. And so, um, so the cards are that were dealt to her, or the the, the Purim that that was cast for her, was that she was in exile, and 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 then she was kidnapped, and she was put forced into a into a uh, uh, harem against her will. I mean, any of any one of us would look at that and go, you know, my life stinks. You know, how much worse can this get? Well, it's about to get worse. Now, uh, because of something happened uh, 500 years to 1,000 years before, now a very powerful man in the, in the country that you're in is now plotting against your whole people group, in which you're one of them. And so all of these situations, all these uh, circumstances, that's the word I'm looking for, all these circumstances that... Uh, are outside of her control that are happening to her unfairly puts her in the middle, right in the middle of the answer. I mean, this is a dire situation. You know, when the when the uh, uh, when the king, and we'll get there in just a few verses, when the king actually agrees with this, not knowing what he's doing, um, it can't even be revoked, even when he knows what's about to happen. Because he put it into law, because he he decreed it, you know, and here goes back to the even the uh, the the party where he gets mad at his wife Vashti. The pride won't let him retract the the decree because that would have to be you'd have to admit that you did something wrong. Well, he won't do that, so he lets the he lets the even the decree to kill all of the Jews continue on. Let it play. Lets it play out. Except he flips the flips the scales or flips the the uh, the odds. Okay. Pardon? Inebriated drinking. Oh, so yeah, he was. I mean, when he made that decree. Exactly. Yeah. I think we have a hard time understanding how kings back then really felt like deities and things. You know, I mm-hmm. I love the History Channel and stuff. And once they were talking about Pharaoh, how <laughs> forgive me, but. Um, he would go into the, they said he would go into the Nile and use the bathroom in the river so nobody could see him to make everybody believe that he didn't go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but that was just one of the things that 
that they said that they would, the links that they would go to to, you know, prove that they were deities and stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, but they definitely had a god complex. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the kings and, and everybody else, so. I just don't understand, though, how he couldn't have made up a new law to override one he's made before. Well, he kind of did, though. Without making it look like... He, he did, though, that and that's what... That's what happens at the end. Is he does modify how it happens. He doesn't stop the the, the attack. He just he just he, he evens it out and actually gives a, a, a advantage to the Israelites. Because yeah. it's like saying I'm even powerless to myself. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, because he couldn't have made a wrong decision. Yeah. You know? I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> All right. Okay, so this is the Persian word for lot, uh, something like a dice. It made a decision. Um, so it, even when the dice was cast, and, and that the Israelites did this with the Aram and Thummim, and they did it with with lots, um, you know, all the way through. But they believed that God was guiding the chance. God was guiding even the cast of casting of the of the lot. Um, and he does. That's the whole thing. No matter what we, what our life situation happens, and we look at it and go, you know, oh, that stinks. Because we can see that all the way through the Bible. Joseph. Joseph is a, is a beautiful story of, of life happening to you and not making any sense whatsoever. And even going against what you thought was true and real. Yet God turns it around for good and, and changes everything. Because he's, he, he's there the whole time. You know, did God lead his brothers to sell him into slavery well no absolutely not they did that out of their own uh, i'm talking about joseph now you know they did that out of their own greed their own anger their own selfishness whatever um but god turned it around for good every step of the way even even with jesus dying on the cross did god direct the the jews and the romans to kill jesus no they did that to, they did it, but the, but even in the midst of that, God is directing. God is leading. God has an ultimate purpose for it. That's one of the miracles that that uh, stopped after Christ uh, was executed. Um, was the Urim, Urim, Durim, whatever. Which, uh, it used to always come up a certain way. I'll try to see if I can find it, but that's one of the miracles that stopped hmm. after his death. All right, so. Um, so it fell on the 12th month, uh, when the, the decision, the, the lot was cast, it fell on the 12th month when they actually cast the Purim, it was the first month. So this is a, this is a year long process. We, we can read Esther in a matter of hour, two hours, maybe three hours at the most, but it literally was a, you know, she was actually in the preparation for six months before the whole Haman thing even happened. And then another year passes during, so she is now married to the king and it has been for a year going into this situation. So the, uh, the lot was cast that determined that the Jews would be attacked and massacred, massacred for at least 11 months. It, it was a window of opportunity. It wasn't just a one day attack. It, the the way uh, it was decreed was that it would be eleven months of attacks uh, that they would have, basically it's hunting season for the Jews is is what uh, Haman set up. So this proves the truth of Proverbs sixteen thirty three: the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. The long delay between the first month and the month of the massacre against the Jewish people was ordained by God because. He knew that there had to be some things get into place. Some things still needed to happen. Um, and uh, God gives us time to prepare. He always does. He gives us time from when we know something's going to happen, when he tells us ahead of time, and when it actually does. And I'm even convinced, and I've, and I've learned this walking with God over the past many years, is that God even figures in. He, he even he even realizes we're going to make some mistakes along the way, because there's been times when I've I've made wrong choices or I've I've headed in a wrong direction and I've slowed down the process or whatever, and it still works out perfect. And one time I was like, God, did you figure in my foolishness? Did you did you figure in my my dullness when I wasn't that I didn't get it? 
And he never answered me, but I think I heard him laughing. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, praise God for that. So, verse 8. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So it all really comes down to money, doesn't it? You know, you know, king, you know, there's some people that you don't like, and we need to get rid of them, and tell you what I'm going to give to your re-election campaign. Nothing has changed in all of these times. So... Haman's charge was the most dangerous possible. It was a half-truth. Yes, the Jews were a certain people scattered and dispersed, and yes, they had their own laws, but their own laws to this point did not prevent them from keeping the king's laws as loyal subjects. And we see that. David was an official, yet he was a, he was a, he was a loyal official. The king loved him you know, when, when it was his, his lifetime. Name Mark, not David. No, uh, I didn't mean I didn't mean either one of them. Okay. Daniel, that's where my head was at. <clears throat> but we've been talking about David for yeah. Daniel. So Daniel was a high official, and but he was a loyal official, and and the and the king loved him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were officials in the kingdom. It just came down; they followed every other law. Here's the thing: Have you ever noticed this reading the uh, the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is that they are trained in everything that the Persians' officials were trained in. There's only two things that they didn't do. One was the what they ate. They only ate the vegetables, the, 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 they didn't eat the meat, they didn't eat the choice foods and so on. So that was one thing they didn't do. The other thing they wouldn't do is they wouldn't bow to the idol. That's it. That's the only thing that's recorded. If, if they had had a whole long succession of things that they would not do or they would not learn, or they, because at this whole time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through training for those who are officials in the, the, the Persian or the, the Babylonian uh, court. But the only two things they won't do is eat the choice food and they wouldn't bow to the idol. Do you know that all of them had to learn how to divine using spirits? They had to learn how to divine the future by, by using the stars. They had, to, they had to do a bunch of other things. They had to learn all of the... Because it says, I think in one of the stories, it talks about how they had to learn the magical arts of the Persians. And it didn't say they didn't do that. But they drew the line at bowing to the idol. They drew the line at, at what went into them because... They were making a statement that, you know, I will only let in what is pure. I will only let into me what is. But they learned. They went through all the other schooling and didn't draw the line there. Interesting that they were faithful as far as they could. They, they did not cross the line when it came down to it, but they would, they would do everything else. Okay. So Haman's charge was true, yet it wasn't... He just hated them. His motivation had nothing to do with protecting the king. He just hated Mordecai. And really, bottom line, he hated the Jews because of the, of the blood feud for 500 to 1,000 years or whatever. In fact, Mordecai's refusal to bow before Haman was not based on the law of God, <clears throat> but on a principle of personal integrity. It seems that Haman was almost completely unfamiliar with this principle of personal integrity. So, Haman suggested organizing the mass murder of the Jewish people. Haman also neglected to tell King uh, Xerxes how many of these certain people there were in the kingdom. He just said there are a certain people, a people group. Um, and that the queen was one of them. <laughs> and, and that the queen was one of them, although nobody knew. He didn't know that Nobody that knew. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing. Uh, Xerxes probably considered this a relatively small threat. Um, this was essentially the, the cost, the, the 10,000 talents of silver was essentially a bribe. Uh, it was a bribe. 
Um, the money would come out of Haman's own pocket. It was to be obtained um, from the property of slaughtered Jews. He was going to, they were going to take over all of the property. Verse 10. So the king took a signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. So Xerxes had no idea what was going on. Uh, he believed it was just getting rid of a few dangerous revolutionaries, which any king is going to do. I mean, why would you not do that if you heard? That's basically what uh, what Mordecai did earlier. Um, and uh, they were always living in constant fear that uh, somebody was going to rise up and kill them, execute them. So, okay, so Mordecai saved his life and there was because there was two officials that wanted to do it. Well, now another official comes in and says, hey, there's a, there's a group of people that are plotting against you. Uh, should I get rid of them too? Oh, yeah, absolutely, get rid of them too. So he wasn't even thinking. He didn't care. Uh, obviously, uh, it wasn't, uh, if somebody else took care of it, even better. Verse 12, then on the 13th day of the first month of the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people, all Haman's orders to the king's satraps. Uh, satraps were the officials, were, were parts of the officials, the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. He did not read it and then put his signet ring on it. Haman had the signet ring. So uh, Xerxes completely trusted him and had no idea what was in the law. Isn't that interesting that they're still passing laws that they don't read? Sorry. <laughs> I won't take it out any further. I just, I'll back off. But, you know, there's another thing to answer. If you hold on and hate your enemies, God will one day have you parade them around town on a donkey, calling out praises to them. <laughs> God is amazingly good at humbling people. Absolutely. I just have to get that visual in my head. And... Later on, you know, uh, it says uh, Mordecai was, you know, placed in Haman's position and it said none was higher except for the king. Mm-hmm. So he basically held the same position as Joseph did in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so they sent the the couriers took the uh, kings took took the dispatch to the provinces verse 13 with the order to destroy kill and annihilate all the Jews young and old women and children on a single day the 13th day of the 12th month the month of Adar and to plunder their goods a copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Like, what in the world is going on? So, to destroy and to kill the and annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women in one day, with this, an empire-wide death sentence on the Jews was announced by the king. This was like other attacks against the Jewish people in, um, in history, except that it was announced well in advance. Satan has always been trying to kill the Jewish people, destroy them, because he understood the prophecies. The prophecies were going to come through Abraham. Um, he understood that the Messiah was going to come. He just didn't know when, and he didn't know how. So he's been trying to destroy um, the Jewish people ever since, even into modern day. Even though Jesus already came, just even though the, that's already happened, he still hates the Jewish people because the the world the 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 um, the uh, uh, prophecy or the. The, the word that God gave to Abraham is still true today. That through his seed, all nations will be blessed. And so, they, you know, the, the, the seed of Abraham. Now, what he didn't understand was the seed of Abraham now is not the Jewish people. Unless they're born again, it's us. But he's trying to kill the, the, the Christians also. Anytime they can wipe out Christians, uh, Satan is trying to do that in mass. And so... So this is um, 
is a continuation, uh, or this is a, it has been happening and will continue to happen until the end, that the, uh, the Jewish people in history have been attacked. So the king and Haman sat down, sat down to drink. When the king sat down to drink, he thought he had done well, but he did not really understand what he had done. Haman also sat down to drink and thought he had done well, and he knew exactly what he intended to do. Um, but it's, despite this, the people are thinking, why is this happening? What's going on here? Why, why would the king all of a sudden make a decree to kill a large portion of the population of the country? It doesn't make any sense. There were all kinds of Jewish people in all kinds of positions all throughout the kingdom. Why would the king do this? Now, a thinking, reasoning human being would say, who's next? If he's going to wipe out a whole people group on a, you know, and, and making a decree out of the blue, they didn't see this one coming because Haman's doing it and he didn't even explain what he's doing. But if, if the king's going to make that kind of an edict out of blue... Who's the, who's the next group that he's going to attack? So, so the citizens of the empire knew Jewish people who lived among them, and they knew that they were good citizens who caused no trouble. Therefore, they were confused that such a decree came forth, declaring that these Jews were dangerous enemies. So again, all this came to pass because of the insecurity and wounded pride of one man, Haman. Can one man wreck it for everybody else? Absolutely. Still happening today. No. <laughs> hey, man, here we are. All right. Chapter 6. No, we're not in chapter 3. What happened? Am I in the wrong order here? Let's hope we get cut up. Oh, my goodness. I thought... I had done. Why would I have not done four and five? That doesn't make any sense. It says Esther one through five. There's three. What happened to four and five? Where are my notes? The uh, <coughs> we'll have to go home and come back next week. <laughs> we can use, use this Bible, I suppose. Shoot, we gotta use the Bible. While you're looking, all I found that the miracle of the lot was the uh, on the day of atonement, John four, for picking one of the two goats. One would be for the Lord, and the other would be for Abel's goat. And during the 200 years before uh, Christ's death, the high priest picked one of the two stones. Um, this was governed by chance. Each year, the priest would select his black stone as often as white stone. But for 40 years after Christ's death, the high priest always picked the black star. Mm -hmm. And they said the odds against it are two to the 40 power. So, and then also, you know, the scapegoat, the, the goats they would send out, uh, they would rip a, a, a white cloth in two, tie one around it, and have the other one there. And if the Lord accepted the offering, the white one would turn red. That also stopped happening. And then the temple doors would also open by themselves. And that's another one that stopped happening. So, that they still didn't get it, get the hint. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, we are go heading off into uncharted waters here now. I have no notes. So, we're going to learn as we go. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Um... Mordecai learns of the decree. He reads the decree at the same time. Verse 1 says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, so they're in exile. There already have been mourning and suffering. I mean, they've, they've been uh, repenting for what they had done that caused them to be put into exile. But it's been a lot of years. I mean, it's been 70 years that they've gone through the exile. This is at the end of the exile. 
people are already going back to Jerusalem. People are already going back to Israel. And so, I mean, if anyone was going to be assimilated into the Persian uh, Empire, then it should have been done by now. But immediately when there was a threat, what do they do? They returned to their ways, their heritage. They immediately repented. They're, I mean, when they the the whole idea of putting on sackcloth, putting on putting ashes over your head, was a sign of repentance. It is an immediate reaction to, oh God, there's something wrong. It, it, their their thought was, it must have been me. They had they had completely changed. As a people group, they had changed. Um, whereas they were before, they were they didn't need God. They were full of pride. They were you know they chase after other gods. They would do whatever they wanted. They weren't following the law. They were I mean, there's just so many different things that um, just show that they were were not seeking after God's perfect will for their life. But here, you can see it's just it's a it's an interesting snapshot that. They are really godly. I mean, they're you know. I mean, not, maybe not every moment of their life is godly, but when the when when the <laughs> when the rubber hits the road, that's the other the only one I could. I was thinking of the other one. And I can't say that on tape anyway. When when the rubber meets the road, immediately they repent. That's they go into mourning. They go into to you know they they deface themselves with you know by by taking off their clothing, putting on sackcloth, dumping ashes on their head. And mourning, they are truly repentant. They're truly repentant, and they are truly seeking after God. Amazing. I wonder. I wondered a lot of times what this country would look like if the church was that dedicated today or that spiritual. I guess. Well, that's what I was going to ask. The Jews in Israel do, are, are they still demonstrate like that? Um, because I know that Muslims do. You know, with the the wailing and the. I think so. Ritualistic type of stuff, but. I wouldn't see why not. There's a lot of secular Judaism now, though. There are certain groups within the Jews today that are are definitely more godly, definitely more seeking after God. Um, Shiva is probably the one that's most common. When somebody dies, you know, they have a small chair that they sit on. That's probably the most common outwardly expression. Mm-hmm. So, I went back and I was looking at uh, uh, where uh, you know Haman came from as far as the Malachites when when Saul didn't kill the king like he was told to. Right. And Samuel it says how Samuel cried all night when God said that he was uh, sorry that he had set Saul as king, and that's another kind of an example of just mm-hmm. how. You know, dedicated that they were. Yep. So yeah. So you know, this seems like a small thing. I mean, it it does seem like a small thing. Obviously, the the, the, all the people across the country or across the kingdom, the Persian kingdom, all did it. And it didn't sound like they sent out a a note say, "Hey, we should all go uh, into mourning." Mm -hmm. They did it of their own desire, their own leading. So they're they're very mindful of God. They're very mindful. It's it's a it's an amazing snapshot into where they had come to over the during the 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 exile worked. That's the whole thing is that God's plan of the exile worked. And I think I said this early on in in Esther. Uh, one of the observations that a, a theologian has made was that leading up to the exile, Israel was always adulterous. Israel always was chasing after one thing or the other or not being obedient or whatever, was always fighting against God. From the, um, from the exile beyond, even to today, Jews are monogamous. As a nation, as a uh, monogamous spiritually, they, they don't, they, from that point on, it was God. Now, they weren't always right in how they did it, you know, Obviously, when Jesus came, he had some words to say, you know, to the to the leaders of the day. But what they weren't doing was chasing after all a whole bunch of other gods. They just that they it fixed them. They got it uh, once and for all. All right, verse four. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth. But he would not accept them. When Esther summoned Hethash, 
Ethich? 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 I love Old Testament names. <laughs> One of the king's eunuchs assigned to a tender and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So that guy went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So apparently... He even heard that, that part of it. Huh? Yeah, he, he's really well connected. Exactly. He, he, uh, he hears the inside story. He told her everything that happened, including the money, because that was never written down. The king had said, no, nah, don't, just keep your money. We'll just, we'll just take care of this. But Mordecai knew it. He's very well connected. So he fills her in. Verse 8. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had, had been published in Susa. To show to Esther and explain it to her, he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Now, interesting. We all know, I mean, if you, if you have never read Esther before, you're going to hear a great story. What happens here on and, and how this all plays out is amazing. And she hears from God. She takes time to hear from God how to do it. There was a specific way. Interestingly, Mordecai goes, get in there now. Go in right now and start begging for mercy. Praise God she didn't listen to him. And, he, and up to that point, he told her, don't tell anybody who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you can tell this guy is distraught. I mean, this is, this, you know, this is bad. And he said, get in there right now. Go, go uh, beg for mercy and so on. But it was Esther, who was a little girl in his, in his you know, compared to his age, didn't have the, the, the savvy, as we would say, of being a, a court official. You know, I mean, Mordecai had been there a while. He knew how to play the game. He he uh, he had the connections, obviously, and he had a reputation um, for his work. So he, he he was a man of credibility. And yet, here's this young girl who said who who apparently doesn't do it. She she waits. Now, easily that could be explained. Why did she wait? Fear. If I just run in there. You know, there, there's the whole protocol thing. There's the whole how we're supposed to do it and how we aren't supposed to do it. And what if, you know, right now nobody knows she's a Jew, you know, so maybe we don't rock the boat on this one. You know, I mean, she's un- undercover. So, and she's the king's wife. So at that point, you know, I mean, she, she should have a, a pass on this, right? Even though she was the king's wife, she did not. Because if you tried to get into the king without him summoning you mm-hmm. there... It meant immediate death. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she was literally taking her life in her hands. Yep, exactly. So she doesn't go in right away. Um, boom, boom, boom. See, since I don't have notes, I don't have. Can't tell where I've left off. Somebody give me a verse. I got verse nine. Do you? Do you have you have verse nine. Okay, Diana is now going to okay. take over the rest of the class because she has notes and I don't. Verse nine. Verse nine. Hathash went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of all of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. He likes his privacy. The only exception to this is, is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So she wasn't even seeing him every day. It was, it was by summoning only. And so uh, the rule was exactly that uh, you just can't walk in whenever you want to. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house... You alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But for you and your father's family, you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? And this is the the famous line 
um, from all of Esther. This is the one that everybody knows and quotes. And who knows but that but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. The very reason you were born, the very reason all of this has happened is happening right now. Now is when you have to act. If, if, if you don't act at this time, you and your whole family will be destroyed and somebody else will rise up. That's where, you know, even Mordecai understood uh, manifest destiny. We use manifest destiny in America in a different way. Um, same way, I guess, but with, a wrong, uh, with making the wrong assumption. But the Jews did have, the Jews do have a purpose in history that is absolutely manifest destiny. God was going to pr- prolong and, and preserve the Jewish line because out of the Jewish line was the Messiah was coming. So there was a sense of we are going to succeed. We will succeed um, even through the midst of this. So he said, if you don't do it, somebody else will do this and you're going to die. So you need to make up your decision. Are you going to be the one who does this, or are you going to let somebody else do it, and you're going to perish? And um, that really has to be the sense that we have in our lives. There is a reason that you exist. There is a reason that you're on this earth. There is a purpose that you're here for. And it may seem like, well, wait a second, I'm just, I'm just so-and-so from, from Podunk, here, you know, USA. What what specific purpose? What what important reason do I exist? Well, she was an orphan girl from an exiled people group, and God used her to change the course of history, or at least to preserve the course of history. Who are you? I mean, when you when you when you look at people who have have done amazing things in their life. And, not, and I'm not even saying like great physical feats or financial feats. I mean, there's been some pretty ordinary people with nothing going for them. I mean, not, nothing uh, much, seemingly nothing much going for them that have, cha- have, have, have changed the course of history. Uh, do you know uh, the name of the off-duty police officer, I believe, is either a police officer from Alden, Minnesota that changed the course of history. Gerald Ford was dry, was, was being driven on a, on a city street in California um, when uh, Squeaky Fromm, do you remember Squeaky Fromm? Squeaky Fromm was one of the uh, um, Manson children, one of the Charles Manson children. Um, had a revolver, and Gerald Ford was driving. They were, were going past in a motorcade, but it was an open motor, motorcade, I believe. And Squeaky Fromm pulls out the revolver, points it right into the car. She was that close to the car, and pulled the trigger. The man standing next to her saw it happening, reached for the gun, didn't realize. I mean, he just he just stuck his hand out for the gun, and when he grabbed the gun. The firing, the firing mechanism caught him in the back of the hand and the gun didn't go off and that gave him enough time to wrestle it away from her and the whole thing but the, but the, the hammer hit right there and stopped the attack she ended up going to jail I, don't, I think she may be out now but back then she, she was in for many years he was from Alden, Minnesota is she living as a housewife in Minnesota? <laughs> she no. could be. She could have been. That's the first thing I thought of. Did she try to blow up the car? <laughs> no, she, she tried to shoot President Ford, but didn't. So there you go. All right. For such a time as this. Verse 15. 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days Night or day, I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is, it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Even though um, God's name is not used in Esther. Here is an example where they sought God. You don't just fast and pray to fast and pray. Unless they're trying to trying to lose weight, but that's not what they're trying to do. They're seeking God's leading. They're seeking God's 
approval. His, they're, they're, they want to hear his voice. What do we need to do? And so here, this young girl, you know, obviously Mordecai's uh, charge, who seemingly you know came out of nowhere. Uh, uh, all these things happened to her, um, but right now she is in the middle of God's plan to protect Israelites. What is her first answer? We got to seek God. We have to seek God, and whatever He says, I'll do. But we have to seek God, Be- and we put Him first. So that's what they're doing. When when they start to uh, fast and pray, their only reason they're fasting and praying is to seek God's guidance and to get His approval on what's about to happen. And so all of the they don't have time to send it out to the whole nation or the whole kingdom, but. Mordecai is able to get the message to everybody in Susa. It's time to fast and pray. We need that. We need to get to the bottom of this, and they did for night and day. They don't eat or drink for three days, and they are seeking God's leading. On the third day, verse five, or chapter five, verse one. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood stood in the inner court of the palace, in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Act of God, right there. Because he could have been in a bad mood. I mean, the guy was a freak. Remember, he uh, he had the ocean whipped with chains and whips because uh, what was it that what didn't it do it was something, something happened it was a shipwrecks and then so he, yeah he has the he has the ocean whipped because uh, he's a freak basically the first time that's happened no um, Roman Emperor Caligula did it too because he was mad beside him really <laughs> you know I mean just people human beings they just they crack me up I think it's the absence of the peer pressure during this. Uh, he doesn't have his guy friends egging him on to do something dumb. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's sober, exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right, so... Uh, well, in the movie, it made it look like he waited till the last second when somebody was holding up a... Tonight or something like that. Oh, they were gonna go kill him. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, they gotta make it suspenseful. Oh, the drama was, yeah. You gotta have drama. Yeah. Drama. <coughs> Verse three. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it'll be given to you. Isn't that, that that's interesting? <laughs> Same words as Same words as uh Oh. Herod. Yeah, Herod. Herod, yeah. uh you know. I'll give you half. So it must have been a saying back then. I'll give you everything. I'll give you. I'll give you forty nine percent of the of the business. You know, but I keep the. I keep. I keep the fifty one percent. Verse four. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. <coughs> Interesting. Do, why doesn't she just say? You're trying to kill my people. What's going on? Why have you done this? Because that's what that's what uh, Mordecai wants her to say. That's what he told her to go do, was to go beg for mercy. She could have said anything. And, and he said, I'll give everything up to a half the kingdom. But as we can see at the end of the story, how this thing whole plays out, he doesn't retract his, his statement. So would he ever retracted it if she had begged for mercy? Probably not. But in that three days of prayer and fasting, um, God gives her some wisdom. God gives her a way, maybe gives her a plan. Here's what you need to do. You need to, you need to go through this, this step-by-step process. The first one is go into the presence of the king. Okay, Whew. got past that one. Now, invite him to a party. They like to party. They just they, That's what they do. And so... She knows uh, the the way the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? And I wonder, I wonder if by doing this, he could kind of see like her frailty, you know, as a, as a, as a female, and you know, this big powerful king. She's this little frail queen, and kind of approached it that way, you know, to win to win his favor, mm-hmm. as a you know, she's the protector of her. 
Possibly. I was kind of wondering if maybe uh, she wanted to make sure he knew her because <laughs> well, she hadn't been summoned for 30 days. It's been a while, yeah, exactly. All right. Um, verse 5. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared as they were drinking wine. Now, so you notice also she actually had prepared a banquet before she went in. It was ready to go. So she she was putting a full plan into, into motion. It wasn't she went in going, well, if he doesn't kill me, then I'll try. I'll, from there I'll start picking up. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll work it out from there. We'll just kind of uh, play it as we go along. No, she had a plan. She had a direction she wanted to go with it. And so they went from there, they went immediately to a banquet. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king asked again asked Esther, Now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request... Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So, why does she keep stringing this out? That was the beginning of women, and that's how we do things. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it the nature? It must be. <laughs> it must, but keep them in suspense. There are two significant things that happen. One is. Haman builds the uh, gallows and during this time, yeah, and then also the king uh, reads the uh, the scroll about Mordecai. Yep, but does she know that's going to happen though? She doesn't know that's going to happen. So what's in her mind? Why is she stringing this out? He's already pleased. He's already said, "I'll do whatever you ask me to do." Well, he's, a, he's actually said it twice now, which is important because when he's gone on record as having said that he's going to do something, even when he Whoa, I'm not sure I want to do this. He has to follow through. I mean, previous. Maybe times. it's like her trying to give him time to actually think about it, to actually take into consideration what could this be. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only thing that I kind of thought of is. is She's up to or she was fasting and praying, maybe she hadn't heard yet how to present. Or the next part of it or something, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like waiting for giving it time to simmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't say, but we, we here here we have this process that she's going through, and you know maybe it is maybe it's really wanting to pique his interest so he really pays attention to what the request is and does something about it. Yeah, it seems like he's been fairly uh, quick to make a. A ruling to dismiss a request in previous times. I mean, when Haman got the order, it was like, whatever, go ahead. <laughs> kind of didn't even he didn't even pay attention enough to know what it was. He was telling him it was fine to do. So I think he'd at least. And that was a pretty significant order. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people we want to kill. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Have fun. Yeah. See you all by ten. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, the game's on, so we don't want to be doing it while the game's on. All right. So, she sets it up. Uh, verse 9. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor f showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends in Zeresh, his wife, Haman, boasted to them about his his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king has honored him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to, the to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me again along with the king tomorrow. But, go ahead. I was just thinking that the answer to your question, I think, is they were setting Haman up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure God was setting him up. You know, whether whether Esther knew what it was, why it was doing, but God certainly knew. Uh, pride goes before a fall. 
always. I mean, any time that somebody starts getting so full of themselves that they start going, look what we're about to do. Look, look how this is working out for me. Man, get out of the way. Because they're, you know, either they're going to fall or you're going to fall if you're the one who's doing it. It's it's inevitable. But yeah, God is God is definitely setting him up. Because they want God wants him to overplay his hand, and he does. You know, he sets up the gallows, he 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 sets this whole thing up so that, that Haman, when Haman falls, he falls hard. I mean, and it's a it's a big deal. And we see at the end when it's the conclusion of it that I mean he really goes overboard and the king is ticked. I mean, the king is extremely upset with how, with, with how it works out, and it doesn't work out well for Haman. So, I'm the only person the queen invited to the company, the king, and the banquet she gave, and she invited me along with the king tomorrow, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all her friends said to him, Have a gallows built. 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanging on it then go with the king to the dinner and be happy this suggestion delighted Haman and he had the gallows built and so he plays his hand he starts going for it why 75 feet it's got to be some significance of some kind of 50 cubits uh, other than you know, let's let's make this very showy. Let's make this. Let's let everybody see that this is what you know. You play in your hand. You you know you having the authority to do whatever you want to do. Well, I read that that seventy five five feet is is about the size, about as tall as a six story building. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, everybody be able to see everybody be able to see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, because they all have gates around their home or walls, walls. so it'd be. Hanging above the walls and stuff. Okay. You know, I mean, he's he's full of himself. He wants people to see it. He and his family is too. I mean, his wife is is right there egging him on. You know, let's do this public. Let's let's make this a big deal. And he's ready to do it. And he prepares the gallows for not not for Mordecai, but he's preparing it for himself and his whole family. His whole family dies that next day uh, in all of this. But. Uh, Esther definitely has a plan. God is leading her. God is is directing her. And because we see this, it's not just by chance. None of this stuff is by chance. The roll of the dice, how long it is between the time and the time, how how all of these things happen. Um, it is God is in the middle of it, even though it's a dire situation. God's in the middle of it now. Esther still has to be a part of the program. She still has to obey. We still have to be a part of the program. We still have our part to play in this. Um, you know, somebody could could take this story, and, and, and there are certain theologians who do take this story and see, look at the sovereignty of God. Look how God ordained this, and he made it all come out to be, you know, the way it was, and everything is perfect. God is completely sovereign. Um, Esther didn't have a choice. She just she was just being moved, and she she just did it because that was God's plan in the beginning. I disagree. I, I and the reason I disagree with that with that statement or that that idea is because Mordecai goes, if you don't do it, somebody else will. She definitely had a choice, and if she didn't do it, we'd be reading about some other person, not Esther. She would be a side note. She'd be a Queen Vashti note. <laughs> but even at the very beginning when she was kidnapped and being prepared, it, it appears like she always humbled herself and she wasn't as showy and flashy as the other girls and um, was into the, what, well, what pleases you? What, mm-hmm. what should I do? Type thing, as far as when you're saying what you should bring in with you. Yep. Yeah. Great point. Because... If she hadn't been there, if she if she had been the flashy, and she, she could have been resistant. She could have, yeah. She she could have took an attitude, and she wouldn't have been picked. She would, you know, every step of the way. So, you know, when we look at our lives, and and here's why I'm not a uh, Arminian Calvinist. Calvinist. That's why I'm not a Calvinist. I believe that we have a part to play, that we have choices.
And we have to walk in obedience. A Calvinist believes that it's all going to happen. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. We're just along for the ride. And that, you know, if God wants to do something, he's going to get it done. Well, he will. But whether you're a part of it or not is the question. And will he use somebody else? Yes. Somebody else could have been the pastor of this church. Somebody else could be sitting in this chair. And God's will, God, God would still get the glory. Absolutely. But my life would have stunk. My life, what would I, what, you know, what, what would I have been doing? Something else. Packing sausages. Packing, yes. packing hot dogs. That'd still be back there. <laughs> so, and not that that would have been a bad thing. You know, if that, but, but choices have consequences. What we do and don't do. How we live our life matters. And if we don't do it, when, you know, is, does everything in our life come down to one day where we have to make the right decision? Maybe. It might. I actually think it's, it's more like there's many points where many different decisions get made where it, it directs us in a certain path. And ultimately, God knows where we're headed. He's not surprised that we're here right now, right now, you know, doing what we're doing. Is this his perfect will? I believe that his perfect will is that that we know Jesus Christ. Everything else is is working the plan. He's working the plan, and he knows where the plan is headed. But I believe that we have an option. We have options. Esther had an option. She could have she could have kept quiet and done nothing, or she did what she did. You know, praise God, she did what she did. Uh, could there have been another option? Could could she have been the second person who was supposed to do it, and the first person didn't do it? Because we read about Abraham was directed to go to Canaan. Remember, if we go back to our studies, back to, to Abraham, Abraham was directed to go to Canaan and to settle there, and then God would give him all of the land that he put his feet on and bless him and become the father of many nations and blah, 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 blah. And all of those things happened because he did go to Canaan. But remember, when we talked about that, his father was told to go to Canaan too. And he stopped in, what's the name of the town? Ur? No, he left Ur and he went to wherever the second place. But he stopped. But God had told him to go to Canaan. Would he have been the father of, of faith? Would he have been the, the father of many nations? And Abraham would have been the second one in line to that, to that lineage. King David was second choice too. Right, Saul. Saul had been picked. God, God specifically chose him. Absolutely. So, we, our lives, are affected by the choices that we make and how we obey or don't obey. And we see this in, in Esther. Even though it seems like a roll of the dice, Purim, the whole idea of of the festival that surrounds this story, it's all about the roll of the dice. Our lives are not a roll of the dice. Our lives are directed by God. But we have to obey. We have to walk with Him. We have to, we have to be a part of that process to, to reap the benefits of it. Amen? We will pick up with chapter number 6 when we get back, and I think we may actually even finish it, but not next week. Nothing next week because it's the night before Thanksgiving. Two weeks. We'll be here in two weeks. Isn't it five No, we just finished five. Just finished five. Yep. Yeah, two very short chapters. We didn't need notes. We don't need no stinking notes. Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for leading and guiding us, Lord. And I help I pray that as we continue to walk this with you, Lord, that, that you'll give us wisdom on choices to make, how to live our lives, so we can glorify you at every step. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.